Welcome to Pivot to First. Hi, I'm Mike Seidel. I'm the CTO at Pivot CX. Every day I get to work with some of the brightest minds in the industry with one goal, turning hiring and people strategy into a competitive advantage. Hi, I'm Mike Seidel with Pivot CX, and today I'm joined by Robin Schooling. She's been a podcaster for over 10 years with Drive Through HR. You should really check out her podcast. It's absolutely excellent. Uh, she also just joined the team at CLO Talent as Vice President, um, Consulting Growth and Innovation. And I really can't think of anybody better to talk about what recruiters actually do, what they should be doing, and why 74% of recruiting teams are underperforming. But before we get into all of that, Robin, could you share a little bit about how you got where you are and uh, what you're doing at CLO? Sure. Hey, hey, Mike, it is, uh, it's my pleasure to, uh, to be joining you on this uh, on this show and uh, looking forward to our conversation because it is, it is something I have lived with um, throughout my career, I guess, which gets us to how I've ended up where, where I am. Um, the beauty part is I started in recruiting many, many years ago um, and uh, started in recruiting uh, at an agency actually way back in the day before I went in-house, in-house recruiting, in-house HR, uh, and even though I've sort of gone down a different path these last few years with my with my career, I truly still consider myself a practitioner. I think it's I, I've just never lost it and get to keep my hand in every now and again with with a few client engagements. So it, it's never left me. And uh, as I transition sort of into the world of consulting. Um, with uh, my previous organization, Paradise Group, which was acquired by Cielo, um, it's it, it, it's really kind of come full circle for me because now in my role, I get to um, interact with all the different practice areas of our Cielo consulting practice. Most most people think of Cielo, of course, as an RPO and you know talent acquisition, uh, which of course is what we are very well known for, but we also have this really robust um, strategic consulting group um, where we do everything from, you know, uh, TA strategy and transformation to technology to um, employer branding and recruitment marketing. So I get to, I get to still touch all of those things that I've loved since my first day in the profession. Well, and you get to look into a lot of companies and you get to see what's going on inside of lots of different companies, don't you? Yeah. So that kind of leads me to a few, just a few big picture questions. Um, what What is it exactly that you think most business people think that recruiters do with their time? Oh, wow. You know, uh, <laughs> I think... Um, I think business leaders um, and candidates, for that matter, probably have very similar visions of what recruiters do. They think that recruiters, um, you know, wait around for people to apply for jobs. Um, they think that recruiters take great delight in saying no to candidates. Um, and they think uh, tech candidates on the candidate side think that recruiters sit around and devise ways to send them spam. So I think those are some sort of uh, common mis misconceptions about how recruiters spend their time. 
And, um, you know, I think when we look in house and, and we look at business leaders or hiring managers, they often think that recruiters, uh, or for that matter, anybody in the, you know, HR people and culture space, uh, they think that recruiters sit around and just devise, you know, cumbersome processes to, uh, hire and get people on board. Um, as if, as if we take great delight in, in crafting these, these Byzantine, you know, rules and, and channels. So what do, what is it that the recruiters are actually really doing in most companies? Because I, I, when I go look at our client base, I see usually between senior management and the, and the talent acquisition team, just a huge gap in understanding what actually is really going on there. Yeah. You know, I think, I think first and foremost, what recruiters do, uh, and this is very, very high level, but, uh, you know, I think recruiters, um, are about building relationships. Um, they're building mm-hmm. relationships internally with the leadership team, with, um, senior executives, with department heads, and they're building internal relationships with hiring managers. Um, they're also building relationships externally, constantly, obviously. Right. With- with candidates and um, trying to get those candidates to convert to applicants, right? So a lot of it is relationship building, um, which is very high level. Of course, then there's the foundational work that that goes into that. But um, you know, recruiters are uh, uh, you know juggling multiple things at one time constantly. It is a a skill that is needed, I think, to be a, a really successful recruiter, um, because things are always changing. There are changing business needs. There's, you know, new opening and closing of requisitions or changing of requisitions. There's adjustments in hiring or hiring processes. So recruiters are very adept at at juggling change um, and and adaptability. Um, Recruiters are constantly balancing the needs of the business and the needs and desires of multiple hiring managers. So it's, um, you know, it's not uncommon in, in many organizations for, for a recruiter to be dealing with 30, 50 plus hiring managers. When you look at the number of their requisitions, kind of who they're supporting, uh, that's a lot of people to keep happy and to, again, have those strong relationships to keep that going. Um, recruiters are um, also spending their time, and I think we'll probably delve into this a little bit, but you know, recruiters are spending their time using technology smartly. And I think the, the, the rest of the business doesn't necessarily see, nor do they need to know how the sausage is made, right? They don't really right. care. Um, but the skill set of today's recruiters and the ability to work in different platforms and smartly use technology for everything from, you know, process automation to communication to whatever, you know, recruiters are really adept at, again, it's balancing and juggling those things. Um, and I think the other thing that recruiters are really doing, um, again, nobody's coming in and looking up the hood. We only, we only hear the stories when things don't work, but recruiters right. are really spending a lot of time um, and, and truly are focusing on the candidate experience. Um, and they really do. I, you know, I've, 
uh, we talk about it. It's a buzzword. You know, we get that, but it is so crucial and so important. And recruiters are often the, you know, that, that, that line of defense there, you know, everything's around the candidate experience is housed in that, let's be real in that, in that TA department. And, oh yeah, you know, I've, I've really, I've never met a recruiter. Um, well, I take that back. I probably have met a few over the years, but very, very few recruiters who have said that they don't care about candidate experience. They really, really do. Um, and so they do spend a lot of time thinking about that. Um, and, you know, and, you know, and how that fits into their process and their day and their workflow. Um, it's always top of mind. You know, one of the things that surprises me when I work with recruiters and, and, and it really blows my mind is how much time and effort goes into working with those 30 to 50 different hiring managers that, yeah. that those re recruiters are working with. It's a really hard job because, okay, they're building these relationships with the candidates over here, but then a lot of times they have 30 totally different, um, ways of thinking about hiring right. and, and they're, they're dealing with, with managers that have some of them 20, 30 years experience hiring people, some mm -hmm. people that have two weeks of experience hiring mm -hmm. people. And, and, um, so here you go, you get this recruiter that's went out there and found, you know, 15, 20 really good candidates. Then they go take the, the candidates to the hiring managers and the hiring manager goes, I'll get back to him after I get back from vacation. Right. 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 And, I, I get to watch that play out every day, you know, with, with companies that uh, we, we engage with that are using our software. And it just absolutely blows my mind how hard it's got to be for the recruiters to deal with uh, hiring managers that just don't realize how important mm -hmm. uh, recruiting is right now. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what, you know, how do you bridge that gap? <sighs> yeah, it's, um, and it, you know, that's so top of mind for us these last, you know, few years, especially. Um, but it's kind of always been that way of of give, of the need for recruiters to kind of uh, light the fire under hiring managers. Um, uh, even back in the days of, you know, let's let's schedule in a paper and pencil, you know, calendar um, with the hiring managers. Right. I think. Um, Here's yet another task to give recruiters, but I think, uh, again, a, a good recruiter is always doing this anyway. And that is remembering, good recruiters should remember that they are, they are the subject matter expert within their organization around all things talent acquisition. Um, and they have a wealth of knowledge. And so part of the role of being a recruiter is to educate um your hiring managers, and and that is, that can be in one-off conversations, that can be at an intake meeting. Um, you know, oh, we hiring manager Bob says, oh, I need to hire, you know, a, a senior controller, whatever. And it's at at that intake meeting to talk to hiring manager Bob about let's look at the job description and. You know, let's make sure everything is still correct and skill sets and blah, blah, blah. Um, and and coming into that intake meeting, even with some market intelligence to kind of set expectations up front with the hiring manager, which includes things like, well, here's sort of uh, 
here's what the market's looking like right now for that skill set. Here's where I think we can recruit from. Um, here's, here's a projection perhaps of the type of candidates we'll get. And then weaving in right at the get-go what those expectations are going to be um, from the candidates. And that can include, okay, hiring manager, Bob, when we get to the point where I, I, I am bringing you a slate of a candidate or two or three, um, right. let's, let's have a commitment from each other. It's an internal you know, service level agreement, right? Of, um, gee, hiring manager, Bob, when I present you with a candidate, can you give me a commitment that we will get this person scheduled uh, at least on the schedule, on the calendar within 48 hours or whatever it may be. Um, so I think recruiters have to do a lot of educating uh, ahead of time and continuously with with their hiring managers, as well as with others in the organization. Sure. That's the to me, the biggest surprise whenever I work with recruiters is exactly what you just said. It's how much time they have to spend working yeah. with the hiring managers. And, and a lot of what they're working on is just really basic stuff. Like, look, I got you a great candidate. This person is going to take a job somewhere else in a week, yeah. maybe two or three days. Could yeah. you please interview them? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's amazing how hard it is to get that in place. And a lot of companies that we work with, the only way to get that fixed is to get, you know, you go to the very top, go to the CEO and go get the CEO to go, right. guys, you have to interview people quickly. If, if, if the talent acquisition team sends you a candidate, You've yeah. got to get back to them within 24 hours, 48 hours. Don't make the candidate wait, because if you do, they'll just go somewhere else. Yeah. And 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 one of the data points that um, I've seen work in, in some organizations, and it, it, you know, it depends on the organization, depends on, again, what that message is from the CEO, for example, um, what access you have in, in recruiting or in HR to kind of this this sort of data, I would try to get this data, right? Um, and that's having a, uh, a benchmark for what it costs, and this may be position specific, department specific, or across the organization, what it costs in revenue each day that a position is open. And use that as one of the talking points with these hiring managers or, or uh, senior leaders to say, look, for every Every day that we leave a position open, we're losing, you know, a thousand dollars in revenue or whatever, whatever the number may be. And, and, and make that conversation about, you know, the, the, the bottom line finances of the business to drive that back home. So that, that kind of leads to the next question here. And, you know, Josh Burson recently put out a report, Human Centered Talent Acquisition. Mm -hmm. uh, and in there, one of the really interesting facts was 74% of recruiting teams um, simply aren't performing. Yeah. Why is, why is that? You know, I think a lot of it goes back to really how we kicked off the conversation, which is what, what are recruiters spending their time on? And the reality is they're spending their time on a lot of stuff. And sometimes there's just, there's not enough time in the day to get all these things done. Um, you know, so I think that's the reality for, for far too many recruiters. Um, I think another reason, um, and I'm not laying blame on anybody. It just, it just kind of is what it is. Um, but so often when we look at, um, 
uh, oh, we're going to bring in new technology, for example, you know, uh, new work technology, HRTA, whatever. Oh, yeah. um, we're going to solve solve this problem because we're going to free up this time. Um, and that may very well be. But we sometimes bring in technology. Um, so on the TA side, right, where, oh, it looks great to the candidate because um, we're all about the candidate experience. Yeah. Um, what is that experience like for the recruiter as well? So sometimes, and we see this on, uh, you know, HR systems all the time, that the, the, the folks that are in using it within the company, the recruiter, the HR generalist, whoever it may be, their experience may be more cumbersome um, and disconnected. And we don't really the collective we, we don't really go to the, our users in an organization and ask them, what is your experience like? You're the recruiter, you're the HR generalist, you're the HR business partner, whatever. Um, what are you experiencing with this technology? And can we make oh. that better? Is it, is it streamlining your work? Is it making your life easier? Is it making you more effective? Um, and if you know, the answer Robin is no, let's look at it. Robin, you know, you're, you're right on. Um, and I, I've never seen a category of software. If I just took um, work tech kind of software or say yeah. anything that smells like software for recruiting. So applicant tracking systems, right. all the different things, all things you can plug into an applicant tracking system. So many of them are, are disconnected from each other. And yeah, yeah, they all do a valuable thing for the recruiter. The problem is the amount of effort and time it takes for the recruiter to make it all work it is just really daunting. And then yeah. you add to that, a lot of times um, recruiters get caught up into having duties like compliance and things like that, that get kind of shoveled over to them. Right, right. By the time you're, you're, you're done, what you have is this, this situation where, yeah, sure, we could add that chat bot and it could help. But um, once we get out of that initial implementation, we have to retrain the bot. Mm -hmm. I don't have any time to do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I, um, I went and I, I did some work with a, with a client last year, um, which it, it was absolutely the poster child for this, this experience. So they had, um, you know, they had most of the bells and whistles, right. And they were, mm -hmm. they were small mid-sized business. So they, they didn't have all the bells and whistles, but they had a, you know, a, a decent, fairly robust ATS and, you know, they had a good onboarding platform and this sort of thing, but things were disconnected. Things were not, um, you know, had not several years before been set up properly for one thing. Um, so things were still disconnected. And so when I went in there to kind of uh, start some work with the team, sure, I, I was watching, what are you doing? What are you doing in your day to day? And the recruiter um, showed me that uh, as she was dispositioning candidates in the ATS, she then went out of the ATS and went over into uh, basically, you know, her, her email server and did all of her messaging out of the ATS over here. And so I just kind of like watched. I'm like, oh, why do you do that? And, and it came to be that the ATS had the capability to do it. Nobody had set it up once upon mm -hmm. a time. Um, but the amount of time that she spent <laughs> going in and out and manually doing things um, was, was eye-opening. Um, uh, but also not uncommon. I think we run into that a lot. I think that's re it's really common. We see we see it a lot when we go in, and and one of the thing one of the features of our software that's really different than other things in our our category is that we integrate 
out of the box yeah. with about yeah. 38 different applicant tracking systems. So there's no double data entry and cut and paste mm -hmm. stuff going on. And it's amazing to me just how much cutting and pasting you see recruiters doing between yes. the HES, the HRIS. And, and then, you know, if, if they, like you said, email, all these yes. different tools. Uh, oh, I got to make an offer letter and it's a word template. Now I got to yes. make that offer yes. in there. Yes, which I then have to turn into a PDF to send off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, all of those things add so much friction and so much time. And um, it just it's amazing to me that, that you know, we, we haven't found better ways of doing it. Or if we are in a situation where we can find ways to do it better, it's amazing how resistant people are to, to making uh -huh. changes. Um, and, and right now, um, you know, I, I think it is the right time to start looking at change because the, the market that we're in, this, this tight labor market, this whole, uh -huh. the, you know, if you look at everything, um, even if we have a recession, we're still going to be fully employed. There is right. not going to be a situation where all of a sudden the job market goes back to 2015 or something. And we have, uh -huh. you know, eight available candidates for every open job. Um, mm -hmm. just not going to be that way anymore. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it really is, I think, time that, that uh, people start really looking at, at, you know, hey, what is my recruiting team spending time on? And mm -hmm. are those the right things? And I think you, mm -hmm. you kind of locked into two really important things. There's building relationships with candidates and there's helping the hiring managers make their hires. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And all the other stuff really, um, which, by the way, I think, Last I looked, Sherm said uh, that's what the recruiters spend 78% of their time on, all the other stuff. Right. <laughs> um, maybe it's time Maybe it's time to start really looking at, at recruiting and going, hey, are, 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 is your team able to work on the right things? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Not that it's they don't scheduling. want to. It's, can they do it? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> is it possible? So that leads me to the next question here, which is, you know, if you, you see a team that really is struggling and is one of these, uh, you know, 74% of the recruiting teams that mm -hmm. is underperforming, what really needs to change there? What are the things that you look at right away and go, hey, this, mm -hmm. we, where, where's the low hanging fruit? Where can mm -hmm. I fix this thing? Well, you know, and I think what's interesting is um, with the momentary, I'm just going to call it a pause, let's say sort of in the greater uh, uh, economy right now, you know, where there's just some, um, in certain industries and, and, and certain companies, right. You know, the little hesitancy of, uh, okay, we're going to maybe, you know, slow our roll on some hiring right now. Um, this is a perfect time actually for TA teams who are maybe, um, taking a momentary slowdown. Uh, this is the perfect time for them to, to go in and spend their time assessing, um, where they are with their, uh, you know, their workflows, their process, their kind of their mission of their TA team, let's say even, you know, let's get the start real high, right? What's our mission? What are we here for? Sure. Um, but I think, you know, the first step and, and I love this stuff, not everybody does, but it's, it's mapping out as uh, you know, on whiteboards, on, you know, Visio, on whatever the tool of choices, um, your flow charts, your process flow charts is sure. the most, is the easiest thing to start with because more often than not, what a, a team will find is that there are these extraneous steps um, that have, that have gone in over time um, that are still there for some reason. And so are all these steps is the process 
working as it should, are these steps that are in there necessary? I'm a great believer in simplifying, um, stripping it all down, simplifying and building it back up. Um, and so if you've got a momentary pause, I think it's really the best sort of a natural time to do it. But I think that that process improvement view, it should be constant. Um, and, and so it's, um, it's critical as a, as a TA team, as an HR team, for any HR process to just really regularly be looking at what is our process? What is our flow? What makes sense? What can we take out that we don't need anymore? Because, you know, 10 years ago, some SVP wanted a signature in this part of the process. Does that still matter? Um, you know, and just constantly be tweaking and iterating and making it more effective um, for those internal users or process owners, as well as for anybody externally or who may be interacting with the process, with the technology, um, and all the pieces that come with it. No, I think you're right. I think that's spot on. That's that's exactly what most companies need to do. Take a take a look at what you're doing, and yeah. um, you know, I think in a lot of cases, especially talent acquisition, just accrues process steps over the years. Like you said, it's a VP that wanted a signature. It's somebody who left the company a long time ago that just had to have it a certain way yeah. and we're still doing it that way. Yeah. And um, one thing that we do a lot of times with customers that we're onboarding with our, our, our software just is ask a real simple question. How long does it take between when somebody applies or says they're interested in working for you? How long does it take between that moment and when there's human to human contact with that candidate? Yes. Yes. And that little measurement has been absolutely remarkable because the answer in most cases is weeks and weeks. Yeah. And it should be answered in minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the ease with which now oh, TA the text there. make that interaction be within minutes. Yeah. Yeah, the technology's there. I mean, it's yeah. so easy to hook, you know, you've got this applicant tracking system collecting all these applies from all these job boards and mm -hmm. you've got talent communities and CRMs, all of which are collecting data for you mm -hmm. in, in real time. How hard is it to hook it up to a system that can say hi to yeah. the candidate and then and yeah. then get you connected when the candidate's ready to talk to you? That yeah. technology is just, it's off the shelf now. And yeah. um, it, it's amazing how few companies uh, understand that. And, and we're still operating in this world where we've got three, four weeks to get back to a candidate. And the truth is, yeah. if, if you're, um, you know, we, we measured, uh, we did a big report where we looked at about a half a million uh, job applications and we looked at how quickly candidates respond. And we found that uh, on average, um, if you reach out to a candidate immediately when they apply, the candidate's going to respond within two minutes and mm. about 50 seconds. Mm-hmm. So if you apply and I say hi to you, I can expect to hear back from you in less than three minutes. Yeah. So you can absolutely get a hold of candidates. And that kind of leads to something I hear a lot from uh, I hear a lot from recruiters and I hear a lot um, from CEOs. And that's that, well, we're, we're trying really hard to recruit here, but the candidates just aren't responding. Mm. What, what, what is it that causes that? Mm. Um. I think 
and this is anecdotal. I have no no data to reference in this, so this is purely anecdotal. I think um, I think a big cause of it is exactly what you said in terms of the time, mm-hmm. where if um, if I applied for a job and it's two three weeks later before I get my first outreach, which is potent- potentially via email. Um, either I've moved on, I've forgotten about it. I'm focusing on something else or I think, man, I was a perfect fit for that. I can't believe it took them three weeks. Um, so I think candidates, um, you know, the world is their oyster, many of them right now. And so you oh, know, yeah. they've moved on to the next great thing. Um, I think time, I think that expectation for immediacy, um, is, is much, is much higher than we even think it is because in our day-to-day lives, you know, we're used to immediate, right? I'm I'm watching TV. I want to immediately know, find a movie, search a movie and be watching it in two minutes. And so if I'm applying for a job, I, 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 I expect that as well. And, you know, I, I think it's, the TA team and every industry is going to be different, certainly, but it's um, it's the TA team knowing who their typical candidates are um, when they are uh, looking for jobs. And you can go and search and find this data, certainly. But um, I think back my uh, one of my last, um, you know, in-house HR jobs that I had, which was not that terribly long ago, was uh, in the casino industry. And so we were you know, it's 24, seven, 365. Right. And so this was uh, about five, six years ago. And so our candidates were applying at all times of day or night. I know lots of applicant activity over the weekends, um, at night, um, all of that. And the HR team, our HR team was pretty much a, you know, Monday through Friday, eight to five thing. Um, well, that's, that just didn't fly because we, we needed to get back with people. We needed to be responding to our candidates real quickly. So I brought in, um, I brought in a chat bot, um, that w- that was via text. Mm-hmm. Uh, so most of our candidates, uh, our applicants like the text. And so the chat bot served exactly that purpose of here's a job, here's the job. Um, and they could start interacting immediately. And it was, you know, a script, obviously. And here's what it's required. You know, what job are you interested in? Here's what's required. Here's the hours, blah, blah, blah. Yes, no. Very easy, you know, kind of yep. script to work through. But it allowed people on a, a on a weekend or Sunday night, Sunday night, Sunday nights were a big day of applications for us and big activity on this chat bot. Um, but it allowed candidates to kind of get through the initial screen, determine if they were interested, and then feed into the follow-up so that by the next morning, boom, we're getting them scheduled because that conversation happened over the weekend. They got that immediate response because um, these were folks working grave shift, swing shift, you know, nights and weekends only type of thing. Well, that's when they were up. That's when they wanted and needed to talk to somebody. So you're saying you're not going to catch that person that wants to work at midnight at uh, 11 in the morning. Yeah. yeah. Chances are not. Yeah. Chances are there's, not. There's just so much of that out there where there's just this this mismatch between what we're doing process-wise yeah. um, and, and meeting candidates where they are is just yes. such a lost. Yes. You've got to do that. You've got to. Yes. You've just got to, got to go to where they are. Um, so from a, 
you know, big picture perspective, what do you see being the big changes in, in uh, talent acquisition over the next year? Hmm, man. I think, um, I think we are going to, and a lot of folks have been, been talking about this for, for a number of years. This is not an original thought from the brain of Robin by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I think we've sort of ramped up towards an acceptance of hiring, hiring for skills and not hiring for jobs. And I think, you know, you start to see this, uh, you're seeing this happening with some companies and sort of how they're out recruiting, how they're sourcing candidates. And I think that that's going to become much stronger and it's going to cause in the world of TA and among more and more companies to, are we, are we hiring by job title? That, that's kind of got to go away. Or are we hiring by skill set, either an existing skill set or what we can train somebody to do? Um, I think that's going to be the biggest continuing evol evolution is looking at skills. That is one of the, that, that is really interesting because that is a mismatch that you see a lot, especially yes. when you're talking, I'm talking to a hiring manager type. I'm talking to somebody who's, who's, they're going, I want somebody that's done this job or this job. Yes. And so, you know, the conclusion is, okay, I want to look for a job title and a resume. Right. And reality is what we really should be looking is for is someone who can do that job. Right. That's a very different question than did that person hold that job? Right. Right. And, and I think that's something that, that frankly, a lot of people don't understand about hiring. I think they think that, you know, I'm going to hire a CTO. So I need somebody who has been a CTO mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and well, maybe you do, but right. reality is you probably need someone who is ready to be a CTO. Right. Right. So very, very different, very different animal and something that I think a lot of, uh, I guess, um, we've been spoiled for a very long time because the labor market wasn't tight mm -hmm. and it was always easy to find somebody who had experience mm -hmm. doing that. Right. Mm -hmm. So big change. Uh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, just kind of close things up. Is there anything that you wanted to share with our audience that I haven't, that we haven't talked about? Hmm. Um, I think another aspect of, and this is sort of, We've been living this for, you know, decades, quite frankly, but heightened awareness in the last couple of years, rightly so. And I think it's, it's only going to keep getting stronger, um, which is companies um, paying attention internally, but also on the TA side and when they're recruiting and when they're sourcing, and when they're telling their story. Um, and that is companies realizing that um, diversity and inclusion, equity, belonging, it, it, they're not buzzwords and they're not just, um, you know, uh, uh, placards on the wall. Um, but the understanding that DE&I is so embedded in the culture of the company and that emerging talent, new talent, young professionals, um, especially are looking for companies that are doing the right thing, that are champions of DEI, that are um, 
you know, willing to talk about social issues. I think that's going to be a big shift. We've seen it. We see it happening. We see stories um, when it doesn't happen more often than when it does with certain companies uh, where they get caught, you know, with their, um, you know, knickers down or something. But um, that's sort of a key cultural shift in the workplace that will permeate every aspect of the employee experience from, from uh, you know, existing uh, retention issues to how are we going to attract candidates? Is, are we, are we, again, it's meeting folks where they are, but if job seekers are looking for something, are we, um, are we matching what they're looking for around these kind of social issues? Mm -hmm. Well, I think you're right. Things are just changing so fast and so much. And, and, um, you know, maybe now is not the time to, to be doing business like it's 1986. Right. <laughs> it really isn't. Probably uh, not. You know, when I, I have, I have five kids and they're, they're uh, all at the age where they're entering the workforce. And mm -hmm. it is amazing the difference in what they see is important in an employer. Yes. What, you know, I think you or I would have looked at it very differently when we were entering the workforce. Maybe not, but um, there's a lot of things our kids are worried about that we didn't even think about back in yeah. the day. Yeah. And so, they're willing to raise it as an issue. That's that's really, I think, the issue, the, the difference. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I have a few questions that I always like to ask people at the end. Um, and I'll, I'll start this the easy question. Um, so what business book have you read that was really transformative to you? Mm, I, I would say um, the best. That is a best tough one I've read. I, I'm actually looking up the title because I can't remember the, the actual title of it. I, and I almost had it wrong. Uh, but David Graeber, who died uh, several years ago, and he wrote a bunch of different books over the years. He, um, about income and this sort of thing, but his one of his last books before he passed was Bullshit Jobs. Um, and one of my favorites. Um, it really just talks about the, um, the fact that we have a lot of sort of jobs that we've created over the years. So you think of the bureaucracy of middle management in a given organization um, and jobs that exist for reasons that we sometimes don't know why. And, and those are what he called bullshit jobs. Okay. I've got to ask you this. So that, that book is one of my all time favorites. And it also, uh, I think it also is really relevant right now because we're, everybody's talking about quiet quitting. Yes. And, um, every time I get asked about that, I always kind of, my response is if you're experiencing quiet quitting, you, you're having a manage, your management is in a failure mode because you've got people doing jobs that matter so little that you don't even notice when they stop doing their job. Right. Right. I mean, you're not even noticing their work. It's that unimportant. Right. <laughs> Is the bullshit job really the, the root cause of quiet quitting? I think the bullshit job is, is one of the reasons. Yes. Um, I think the other reason, I mean, quiet quitting is, you know, what was disengagement three years ago. Right. Um, yeah. but it's, um, I think the other reason is, um, I, I think there's bullshit jobs. And then I think there's, um, lack of, 
lack of recognition and thanks and acknowledgement when people are, and it's okay. Everybody doesn't have to be going at 150 miles, you know, all the time, but if somebody's doing steady 80, 90 miles an hour, whatever, um, you know, a pat on the back, a, Hey, good job. And that might be okay. To, you, you need those, those steady eddies as the term always was to, yeah. to keep going. And that may be, that's okay. They have folks like that. Okay, next question here. Um, favorite movie? Ooh, um, Velvet Goldmine. Okay, and then uh, final final question. Anything that anything that we missed that you want to share, or we cover everything? Mm, I, uh, you know, as we're as we're chatting today, we are at the cusp of. Um, a football season and I'm ready. So that's what I'll leave us with. I have to agree with you. I'm, I'm ready for some football for sure. Thanks very much for joining us. Robin schooling of CLO talent. Thank you. Thank you, Mike.